In our case, we are building interbank-grade peer-to-peer capital markets. We are deploying our protocol, and this protocol is operated by DAO, and so we chose Cayman as a jurisdiction because of the nature of the cryptocurrency is more of a newer currency market. It's kind of like a similar to offshore, but having this basic layer, basic protocol layer offshore, it makes it easy to localize by having a regulatory entity to provide the services to the regulated area. You have just heard from Masaka Kuchi, founder and chief executive officer at Secured Finance. Masai is a former head of interest rate and foreign exchange derivative structuring turned computer scientist, an evangelist of Web3 technologies, and a task force member of the trusted web at the Cabinet Secretariat of Japan. So let us dive right in. Good evening from Tokyo. I'm very pleased to have Masa Kikuchi with me tonight. A few weeks ago, we had East Global in Tokyo and Masa and the whole secured finance team were here and had a number of sold out events. The craziest was a panel in a venue that allowed for 100 people and there were almost 300 actually coming and over 700 registered. So that was a bit crazy. We got to know each other all really well. And also a session in Japanese with regulators, lawyers, etc. to discuss all the topics really in a Japanese context. It was a fantastic session too that was live transmitted by Coindesk in Japan, all the huge success. In addition, Masa and the Secured Finance team have built an incredible community, 50,000 followers on Twitter and in the Discord. So he's used to dealing with large numbers in terms of people and in terms of finance. The byline for secured finance is interbank grade DeFi. Presumably that tells us it's not something we should let our kids play with. But let's start with just giving the 101 of what secured finance is. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm Masa Kikuchi. I go by Senshi Online, founder of Secure Finance. This is a DeFi project. So everything is on-chain, from blockchain. Uh, we are building interbank-grade peer-to-peer capital markets. What we really want to achieve is we want to build a yield curve for the cryptocurrency space. I'm from traditional finance, and also I'm a computer scientist, so I'm more of a hybrid guy. When I was looking at the previous DeFi summer, and people are so excited about yield farming or something, it looks like more of a money market, and people are just exploring how to build a pool-based price discovery system, such as Uniswap, create a pool to determine the exchange rate. Also, Aave or Compound is creating a pool to determine the interest rates. It works in some way, but I realized that it has some limitations to scale up to institutional grade. But the concept itself, DeFi, decentralized finance, is quite familiar to me as a you know, traditional finance people. Because I've been working as a derivative structurer, I'm facing the swap market and basically it's interbank market and it's already decentralized. There's no central authority. We're basically making a phone call. Hey, I want to do this trade. It is already peer-to-peer and always decentralized. I'm so familiar with the concept of DeFi. I believe that we can expand the decentralized finance from just money market to more of a peer-to-peer and OTC market, which is really the massive scale of business, somebody should be able to build it, right? Because of this 
enthusiasm. Binance is there, Uniswap is successful, and Anbabe compound, and what I was waiting. But it looks like nobody's building it. Okay, so it looks like some things need to play here. And then I went to Hackathon, hosted by East Global, one of the largest community. I proposed, hey, this is how we build OTC manner lending market. We can build a yield curve. And once we have a robust yield curve, we should be able to expand to OTC derivatives market. This is the steps we can do to actually really scale up to the interbank grade and peer-to-peer -peer and the capital markets. Capital markets, I'm using this terminology as a contrast to the money market. So money market, I call it for less than one year, which is more of a Uniswap or Compound or Aave. But capital markets is more of a fixed income business, which is clearly the missing area of the DeFi right now. But I'm sure it's a matter of time, right? So somebody has to build it and it looks like nobody's building it. And so I'm basically proposing, hey, let us build this market. That is how Secure Finance has begun. Can you elaborate a little bit more on the significance of building the yield curve further out? Why that is such a core piece for what you're ultimately trying to do? Yield curve is the bedrock of the institutional finance. By having a fixed term interest rates over time axis, we can plot interest rates over time axis, three months, six months, one year, two year, three year, five year. By having this yield curve, it gives you the predictability and you can lock the future. It actually enables hedging and you can lock the price. And by having yield curve, let's say we can provide a Bitcoin forward price. So one year forward Bitcoin price. So imagine you are a Bitcoin miner. A lot of Bitcoin mining rewards is coming in your cash flow in the future. So you want to lock the future price once you know, Bitcoin price going up and you want to lock it, right? So right now, we don't really have it. There is a futures market, but futures usually up to one year. So we don't have a long-term hedging solution here. And institutions like a huge asset management people, they need hedging solutions and they want predictability and be able to manage their portfolio and to control the risks. So those type of activity is... I think it's quite necessary and it's only possible when we have a robust yield curve. So that's why we build yield curve. Based on that, what are the products that are currently tradable on secured finance? We launched our test pilot program and test net this April. The first product is lending, so OTC lending. And if you go to secure.finance, you can play directly with our web application. We opened up 32 markets. We chose four highly liquid currencies, USDC and Ethereum and Bitcoin and Filecoin. All of these currencies have unique characteristics. USDC is more of a stable coin, which is the value connector. USDC is supposed to be the same value as a USD. If you build the yield curve for USDC, the curve shape should look like the US Treasury curve, but there's always an arbitrage opportunity. So four currencies, and each currency has eight markets. It's actually fixed maturity, meaning maturity at March, June, September, and December, and then next year's March, June, September, December. 
So we have eight buckets for each currencies, eight by four currencies and 32 markets. You can come to our platform and a simple version, you can use it just making a market order. So it looks like a Uniswap interface, but if you can switch to advanced mode, then you should be able to see the order book. So you can place a limit order to the order book system. Our efforts of ensuring liquidity is really the key to maintain the robust market is really the liquidity. In order to ensure the liquidity on the primary market, secondary market, the key is standardization. So we spent a lot of time to design what is the ideal standard format of the lending market. The lending market, I'm saying this lending, but it's actually not much difference between the bond market. So we can call it the bond market as well. But the standardization efforts is actually, we are more like a zero coupon bond market. Our loan, if you want to borrow USDC and the price is, let's say, 95 you borrow at 95 and then you have to return at 100. And this five is basically the interest rates. It's quite easy to understand how much you need to return money. And you don't need to calculate the interest rates, the coupon calculations, because we remove the interim coupon. So we make it really simple to understand and also make it simple for the calculation. Lots of restrictions are there on the Ethereum blockchain. One of it is gas price. So we can't make a really complex calculation on chain, but because of our efforts to simplify the standardization of a plain vanilla loan as a zero coupon loan, then we can remove the complexity and also ensuring the highly liquid lending market. When you say you have high liquidity, does this mean that secured finance itself will act as a market maker or do you bring in other market makers then to your platform as well? Our system is basically our blockchain-based order book system. So we welcome everyone to place order and everyone can become a market maker. Also, as a market maker, by showing bid and offer, as narrow as possible. We can invite the crypto market makers, such as GSR or other crypto market makers. And we got investment from GSR, so they are really good at this market making on the crypto space. They know about traditional finance. Yeah, by inviting professional market maker, we can ensure the liquidity. On top of that, we are designing the incentive mechanism. One of the difficulty of order book system is to ensure the liquidity. I learned the previous example from Tokyo Stock Exchange or uh, Chicago Exchange. They pay some incentives to market makers and then achieved 10 times liquidity. So it really makes sense to pay some incentives for the market makers. In this way, we can ensure the higher liquidity. So essentially, if you take liquidity off the market, typically with a market order, you get penalized. Right. You need to pay the fees. And if you make liquidity with limit orders in the market, you get incentivized by discounts or ultimately zero fees on your trades. Is that the same concept here? Yes, exactly. What's beautiful for the on-chain system is everything is traceable. So your history of placing an order is verifiable. We can give away some incentives afterwards. 
that's something the market makers can join with confidence because it's easy to prove that they contributed for their liquidity. Got it. Thank you. You said it's in testnet currently. What is the path forward to then actually going live in production with real money? We have a bunch of plans until the mainnet launch. We are planning to launch our product, Lending Market, targeting end of Q2, Q3 area-ish. But we have to make sure all the risks, not only smart contract audit, this is one of it. So after smart contract audit, we're now on a test part of B1 and educating users, community members. We have 53,000 members. We need to educate users to be able to use AutoGroup system. After the audit, we want to do test pilot V2. V2 comes with more advanced features, advanced training to use AutoBook to make a limit order and how to do a carry trade, how to do for the hedging. Once user education is done, at the same time, we're going to do more about infrastructure development, including risk management. Even though smart contract works perfectly as a design, we need to make sure this market is robust and the market can prevent manipulation. So price manipulation is one of the huge topics of not only DeFi, but also traditional finance. We should prevent a flash loan attack. A various kind of attack is possible. Nowadays, a lot of flash loan attack is becoming a tech vector for the DeFi project. We need to make sure to mitigate the risk of manipulation by having kind of price limit, or we also have a circuit breaker system. We are taking collateral in the beginning to make sure all the counterparty risk is hedged. We want to make sure perfectly, right? In any case, unexpected thing could happen. So in that case, we are charging fees and this fees will be reserved in a reserve vault. Out of these fees, we create a reserve fund for insolvency recovery. So that type of risk management system is under development. So to make sure the security of the market for the users, we already have a market to market system. So operational security is in a good shape. We have a real time margin call, which is great. Traditional finance, typically they do margin call on a daily basis, but for the smart contract, because of the autonomous nature, we can do margin call much more frequently. Fastest is every buck second, which is 12 seconds, which is very efficient. So we can reduce the collateral requirement by having this efficient mark-to-market liquidation system. We have a clearing counterparty contract facing all the users. So we can remove the counterparty risk and also we can improve the secondary market liquidity by having the clear counterparty contract in the middle of all the users. Final point we want to make sure is the regulatory clarity, regulatory compliance. And yeah, legal regulatory compliance, we want to do the audit for the legal regulatory compliance, make sure all the transactions happening on the DeFi are secured finance platform is legally compliant. Financial crime, of course, we can mitigate and we can remove. All those things combined, then we go live. So we have a bunch of things to do, but we are confident our team is really strong. I'm from traditional finance and I'm computer science. Our team members are also from traditional finance, have decades of experience. 
Kenji is from Goldman Sachs. He has an experience as an FX and interest rate trader. He has quite an extensive knowledge of how to secure the market. We use this knowledge to design the secure market. We also have a head of engineering, director of engineering, Ruben, is making sure all the products is robust. What's important is we need to have a very good user interface. UI and UX, user experience, is really the key for success for the DeFi project. So by having those three heads, we make sure our product is launching smoothly on mainnet. That's still quite a long list of to-dos, but as you said, it's also a very skilled team. So I think we've got the basics down. So from the regulatory perspective, secured finance is established in Switzerland, right? In the crypto valley. Yeah, right. So is that where you ultimately then say this is the location and the restriction for trading as well? Secured Finance AG is established in Switzerland, registered in Zug. This is a development company. And DeFi project actually has a multi-entity structure. So dev company and also an you know, operating entity. It doesn't have to be entity. It usually the protocol itself is developed by the dev company and deployed and operated by more of a the global entity. In our case, we are deploying a protocol and this protocol is operated by DAO. And so we chose Cayman as a jurisdiction because of the nature of the cryptocurrency is more of a euro currency market, which is kind of like a similar to offshore. But having this basic layer, basic protocol layer offshore, it makes it easy to localize by having regulatory entity to provide the services to the regulated area. That's how we set up. So the Swiss company is purely the development purpose. Secured Finance AG is like your input-output, if I put it in the Cardano context. And if you're domiciled, then in, from the operating company perspective, anybody who is US-based and wants to trade with you needs to have an offshore entity to face off sure. against the Cayman Islands entity. Exactly. Yeah. But the difference between FTX and our case is FTX has a centralized entity, offshore company entity. So the Sam Bankman-Fried has a full control and did something really bad. In our case, our governance system will be decentralized. It's run by the governance decision by the multi-party. So I'm the founder, but I don't really have the full control of the user's assets or the protocol. I'm not having the full ownership of the private key of the entire protocol. That's really important to make sure no single person can control everything. So we remove the single point of failure. And I think that's the core value of the decentralized protocol compared to the centralized system. Your euro currency market comparison was interesting. That goes yeah. back 50, 60 years, right? Was it Warburg who brought the US dollar to London and created that market? You're essentially saying it's the same as trading a US dollar offshore. Yeah, I think the cryptocurrency, think about the nature of cryptocurrency. It's really similar to your currency, uh, let's say like a, the US dollar outside of the United States. 
looking at the interbank system, interdealer, they are making euro dollar, right? And the LIBOR is based on the euro dollar. So everything in the interbank OTC market is based on the euro currency market. It's basically offshore and doesn't have home currency. Looking at Bitcoin, it doesn't have home country, but it's operating globally. So it's very similar what we find and how we can regulate. Think about regulating cryptocurrency. We should be able to think about this way. Don't mention LIBOR, that brings back some bad memories <laughs> because it was at Barclays at the time when we had the scandal. Oh my God. Enough yeah. said. That was my regret also. I was an interest rate derivative structure back then and I was noticing something is happening. I didn't know, but I'm thinking, of the, okay, something is happening. I just felt it. And it turned out there's a massive scandal there. That led me to go really deep into DeFi. People make mistakes. Okay, let's systematically avoid a human's mistake, central control. And that's the core of the DeFi. In your personal origin story or secured finance origin story, when you had that thought and you wanted to do something in DeFi, you were trading, you could have made the choice to simply find a technical founder, but that's not quite what you did. You decided to actually go back to university, to Harvard, to take a computer science degree. Why that choice? What was the rationale when you thought about this? One of our value is me as a founder having both experience in finance and computer science. That was my dream. When I was working for a previous company, HSBC, I was always facing the challenges between the business side and IT department. There's always a huge gap and always communication cost. It's really hard to bring this business idea and then turn into a really business, like a, this product or like a software. It takes time and it's not efficient. I was hoping if I have this power to create a prototype by myself, it makes it so easy, so flexible, so fast. I have been thinking about it. The working for bank is so busy, so stressful. It doesn't allow me to study and practice computer science and programming. It requires years of training. I was lucky enough. I left the previous company after the financial crisis. And that gave me moratorium period to really think about what I really want to do next. I started as a hobby and I took the MOOC, Massive Open Online course, and took the MIT and Harvard course just to try out how I can go, how we can do. And it really struck me. I really enjoyed programming and becoming kind of serious. Even though the class is open course, I have to take the same exam, midterm exam, final exam with the same condition as MIT student and Harvard student. And actually I did it well. So it turns out, okay, maybe I can take the whole semester and whole the degree courses. And then decided I'd fly to Boston and you know, just start taking the classes and I got into the master's degree track. This school days was a big investment for me, but I think it turned out it's really fruitful. I spent five years. I slowed down, I took maybe double time because I really wanted to learn the skill sets, like a master's subject. Usually the master's degree student, they just take the course and then do something and then just get a degree. It's not really my purpose. If I invest my time and money, then I have to return maximum, right? I really wanted to dig deeper, deeper and deeper into this subject. 
and the Harvard professor was so helpful to answer any questions that I asked. I really get deeply involved in the computer science and I really loved it. During the time as a programmer, I was redefining all the business activity that I experienced in the banker's days. That's how I became a hybrid guy. So how we can convert business idea into a tangible product and then become a hackathon winner. And then that's open up an opportunity to set up a secure finance. I find this totally fascinating and admirable, this really strong commitment to fully immerse yourself in computer science to become that hybrid person. As you said, we're talking about five years. This is not like going to a coding academy or so for three or six months. This is a yeah. significant part of your life, yes. of your young life still. Yeah, I really felt like I tried to become a freshman again. And it's more like a dual life. <laughs> I was a technologist in these institutions while you were always on the trading side. The traders really only see the tip of the iceberg, right? Clearly, yeah. the trading systems yeah. are very sophisticated, but 80% of the cost is after the trade has been made. And so <laughs> let's say they, they get $300 million of cost allocated directly from the department supporting them. Then there's another 800 million or so that comes in allocations from all the supporting functions, what we call middle and back office or compliance and all these things. It's really hard to get the transparency on their side, the whole hidden part of the iceberg. The things that we were explaining at the beginning with the central clearing contract, etc. it feels much of the impact of decentralized finance can actually be after the trade has been made because you can really automate everything. Yep. And if you have bonds, the asset yep. servicing can be automated. You do the clearing automatic. And so yep. that is a huge saving in terms of running the business. Yeah, exactly. I think that it's so due to the nature of you know, public blockchain. It's really strong that we have a publicly verifiable settlement layer as a blockchain. So all the activity is publicly verifiable. It's immutable and nobody can change, right? So it's really the strong proof. And then it actually removes a lot of operational costs. That's a key to democratize finance. Interbank great finance is of course it's really huge but it's costs a lot and on the middle office back office space but if we can reduce by replacing those functions with blockchain and smart contract then we can finally reduce the costs and open up this market for wider people in that way we can contribute for the financial inclusion let us go back once more to the regulatory side the classic KYC question. Yeah. So when you operate that protocol, are you going yeah. to identify the counterparties and how and when? I want to talk about the conceptual thing because it's, uh, of course, like a KYC AML is really the important thing. And I have been thinking about what is the best way to comply as a decentralized finance. And obviously the architecture, the nature of decentralized finance is disintermediation. And there's no central controller to regulate. I think that's a problem of DeFi and that's the regulators are, it's a headache. But it's very clear that we need to find a good balance between privacy and also the traceability and ensure the avoiding money laundering or terrorist financing. 
I'm thinking about, do, do we really need to collect all the personal information? And I was thinking about why we need to collect personal information is basically the law enforcement. Why we need enforcement is basically we want to find out who did the bad thing and chase them and find them and punish them. That is the setting of the legal system right now. But what I really find in the blockchain and smart contract system, we can actually have a better crime prevention by auditing smart contract. We can audit smart contract to make sure that all the activity, in our case, lending activity is legally compliant. Also, we can check the user's location, jurisdiction. We don't really need to obtain user's personal information by sacrificing the privacy because what's ultimately important is to prevent bad thing, prevent crime. We need to find a good balance between that. And the current KVC ML way is designed for centralized governance, centralized model, and also difficulty in the real world. It's really hard to prevent crime at the time of happening. So we need to chase them and punish them afterwards. But in our blockchain system, everything is happening on the spot and we should be able to stop the bad things right away. We have on-chain activity, everything's transparent and immediate action and immutable. So using this nature, I come up with a better balance, which don't really require obtaining personal information, but ensuring the legal compliance. Actually, this is a conceptual, but I'm going to write a document that share this idea and then discuss with regulators. But what's important is how we can prevent the bad things. In one of your blog posts, you called this embedded supervision, which conceptually makes a lot of sense. But naturally, as you also ended your comments, you need to have some dialogue with a certain regulator or set of regulators as to what the yeah. supervision is that you're embedding. Cayman is not the strongest regulators, I would say, for trading activity. What are the regulators that you'd be talking to? I'm involved in one of the international discussion study group called the Begin Blockchain Governance Initiative Network that consists of regulators, academics, and also developers. Specifically, JFSA is actively joining this meeting. Also, we have a global attendees to discuss what is the right balance between how we can regulate DeFi. In that group, once I posed the way to find a balance between privacy and the traceability is by having the dictionary confirmation. Nowadays, people will start to discuss decentralized KYC or zero knowledge KYC. It's a technological solution for KYC. For example, like a zero-knowledge proof is mathematically guaranteeing way to make sure the fact is true without revealing the detail. By using zero-knowledge technology, you don't need to expose your personal identifiable information, but also you can prove that this is you. This kind of discussion is happening in the Begin, BGIN. It's open source, so you can join for free. I encourage you to join and take a look at it.
One more question, because you brought up the Japan FSA. You're obviously a Japanese founder. You still spend some time in Tokyo, but the base is Bangkok. We covered the DEF company already that's based in Switzerland. So I put you in the bucket of the Japanese founder abroad, of which there are quite a few. And so two-part question. One is your decision-making process in seeing you're establishing your business outside of Japan first. And then secondly, your perspective on what's happening in Japan right now, where the ruling party has put out a white paper on Web3 this year. The draft was at the end of last year, and last year they also had an NFT paper. So they seem to be very focused broadly into the Web3 space, which also includes DeFi. Also be interested to get your perspective on the going on here. Right now, Japanese founder tends to go out of Japan because of the tax rules and also a lot of very tough rules. For example, if the Japanese company, Japanese entity holds token at the end of December, then it is mark to mark and you have to pay tax based on your holding the tokens. It's impossible. So if you want to set up a token entity in Japan, that's really the deal breaker. You really need to set up a token entity outside of Japan. But I do believe nowadays people try to go out of Japan. But in fact, the Japanese government and also the task force, Web3 task force, published a white paper. And in that, it clearly mentions that they will change the tax rules to reduce this burden. It's pretty supportive and welcoming the Web3 founder from global to Japan. So my idea for the new Web3 founder, you can still set up a company in Japan as a dev company, as I told you. And you can set up a token entity outside of Japan, more like a global jurisdiction. In this way, you can still live in Japan and set up a Japanese entity as a dev company and operate a Web3 project out of Japan. My decision is more about the ultimate goal and vision. Secure finance, the vision is pretty large and obviously interbank grade. So it's international and global and finance project. As finance projects, I wanted to choose the jurisdiction by the most stable country, which is Switzerland, has the longest history and the most stable jurisdiction. So, you know, the crypto and in finance, we need the long history and stability in terms of political stability. We don't need to get into US-China thing. So in that case, not Singapore and not Japan. I chose Switzerland as a dev company because of the nature of finance and because of the stability and political stability, etc. And also the neutrality of the government. I think that's why I chose Switzerland instead of Japan. The second question about the recent activity and trend what's happening in Japan is very positive. Every time I speak at the conference, global conference, I share the slide that Japanese government approves Web3 white paper, and they actually promote industry growth in the country. Kishida administration set the national strategy as Web3 and also AI. I talked to the Web3 white paper's secretary, Mr. Shiozaki-san. He's so smart and so understandable and pretty good at English. 
he grew up in the same area, hometown. So I, I feel like it's close and understandable about his capability. I feel like, oh, this politician is not the same and he's really serious. His commitment to promote Web3 in Japan is real and it's resonated to Kishida, Prime Minister, and it making changes. The speed of changing the tax rule is impossibly fast. So in this way, I could confidently say that this is really happening. So yeah, I'm so confident from here, Japan is becoming leading Web3. I hope that comes through. Simply, it would be good for the country. And obviously, yeah. the competition is not sleeping. So the conclusions of the Hong Kong consultation came out and looks like they're going to open crypto for retail. So there will be competition in terms of the crypto ecosystem in Asia. Competition is good, I think, for both locations. Yeah, yeah I agree. Thank you very much, Masa. I think that was a great overview where you are in terms of the development. The testnet is there. Anybody who wants to try it out can go and check it out. You also have the weekly community call. Yes, on Discord. There's a yeah. weekly community call on Discord if you want to connect with the 50,000 friends that Secured Finance has already. You can join that on an ongoing basis and keep abreast of the developments. We'll certainly keep watching it closely and wish you all the best. Looking forward to seeing the main at later this year. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm so excited.